Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. My mom, she's actually a violinist, so she's into classic music. When she visited New York City to meet me the first time in the United States, I brought her to the concert. The dutiful son is today's guest, Seju Jung, co-founder and CEO of Noom. He's recalling a time soon after he moved to the U.S. from South Korea on a mission to transform how we think about fitness and health. But for his mom's first visit to New York, he had another mission. Give her a memorable time. So, of course, he fulfilled her dream. Kind of. I told her, Mom, I will take the most energetic concert that you will like it and remember. And that was Mega Death. Now, that's about as far away from a Broadway musical as I can imagine. But keen to go above and beyond, Seiju wasn't taking his mom to your typical vanilla Megadeth gig. I brought her to Megadeth Gigant Tour. That means like they brought like 20 other bands. It was like six hours nonstop heavy metal show at Outdoor, and it was like a real intense. If you hadn't guessed already, Seiju is a huge fan of metal music. His mom? Not so much. But that didn't mean his mission was a total failure. In fact, it was quite the opposite. My mom was like, she couldn't stop laughing at me because she was expecting Broadway musical show in Manhattan. My mom was laughing at that situation. <laughs> I would say she had a very, you know, interesting experience, I would say, right? And she loves me. I think she forgave me instantly and we enjoyed together. Mission accomplished. Although Seiju didn't totally deny his mom the classic Broadway experience. I'm a good son. Of course I took her to the Broadway show. But the first concert was mega death for sure. That is the truth. Here's some more truth. Seiju knew she would get more joy from sharing an unforgettable experience than she would hitting the usual New York City tourist spots. And that was his mission. So Broadway could wait. In scaling a business, you also need to put off ideas if they don't fully align with your mission. Maybe even drop them totally. It will often feel like a huge gamble, like taking a violinist to a Megadeth concert. But the payoff is worth it. In fact, choosing an easier path that doesn't align with your mission can even be fatal. That's why I believe that a guiding mission will take you farther than the success of any one product. And if you're ever forced to choose between them, choose the mission every time. You gotta have incredible talent at every position. It's like this huge push. There are fires burning when you're going home. Can you believe it? Such an idiot. And then you go back to, this is totally gonna be amazing. 
There are so many easy ways. So, 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 I have no idea what to do. Sorry, we made a mistake. But you have to time it right. Oops. Working out of a three-bedroom apartment. Stuff that just seems absolutely nutballs. Ten years later, I'm like, well, that's just how you do it. We haven't made just how you do it. This is Masters of Scale. We'll start the show in a moment. Afterward, from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. <laughs> That's Aparna Saran. Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business, and she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, partner at Greylock, and your host. And I believe that a guiding mission will lead you farther than the success of any one product. And if you're ever forced to choose between them, choose the mission every time. For a business, aligning your product with your mission is vital. Because without that alignment, your whole company will start to veer off course. And when it does, you need to ditch that product and fast. Letting go is hard. It's easy to fool yourself into thinking a product or service is on mission. Maybe it reaches a lot of people, or maybe the feedback is great, or it makes a lot of money, or maybe you grew it from nothing and can't bear to let it go. But to have a truly sustainable, long-term growth, you need to learn to let go and choose mission over product every single time. I wanted to talk to Seiju Jong about this because throughout his career, he's never been afraid to choose mission over product. In fact, he has shuttered several hugely successful products and made painful pivots for nearly a decade in service of his guiding mission, to use technology to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. He finally found product mission fit with Noom, the app that matches its millions of users with coaches to help achieve their fitness, weight, and well-being goals. Noom's huge success has resulted in $400 million in revenue and a $4.2 billion valuation. From the day he was born, Seiju seemed destined for a life dedicated to keeping other people healthy. My life was preset to become a medical doctor because my family has a medical background. My father, my uncles, all are doctors. Our family founded hospital business, and we still operate in South Korea. The reason behind that, after Korean War, Korea was completely destroyed. My grandfather had a vision that wanted to provide a healthcare service for the community. And that was our family legacy. 
But the path of Seiju's family legacy didn't exactly lead to where he was expecting. All my cousins, somehow they are good student and smart student, so they followed the path of the family legacy, which is becoming a doctor, and they became all doctors. And I tried. I don't want to lie that I tried hard, but I, I failed to enter the medical college, and then my life got lost by them. <laughs> Seiju shifted focus to another challenging subject, electrical engineering. But as his feelings of shame and disappointment chewed at him, he immersed himself in another early passion to get him through. I love heavy metal. And you may ask why, and I don't know. I just love it. I remember when I was like nine years old, I was I listened to heavy metal and I was like, oh my God, I love that music. And since then I listen to heavy metal in the morning, the first thing in the morning before even having a coffee. I listen to heavy metal before I go to bed, still today. It's true. If you open the Dictionary of Rock to the definition of metalhead, you'll see a horn-fisted seiju moshing out. But in South Korea in the 90s, metal was a niche interest, and finding fellow fans, let alone records, was a challenge. So in his freshman year at college, Seiju founded a website dedicated to the art form he loved. South Korea's metal fans flocked to it, and pretty soon, Seiju was importing records and CDs, streaming music, and organizing gigs. I was able to actually United have met listeners, and I was able to evolve the business to production, and I opened the stores and the gigs, all that. That made me quite happy and also busy, and I absolutely loved it, and I discovered my talent as an entrepreneur by then, and also have a little taste of like what it's like building a company. By Seiju's sophomore year in college, his business was booming, but then he got a call that brought his life to a screeching halt. I got a call from my mom, and I knew something was wrong because my mom wanted to have a family meeting, and we never had a family meeting. And I asked her that, Mom, don't tell me it's about dad, about health, because I kind of like sensed that, and she couldn't answer. She cried, and I was like, oh, my God. The news was the worst possible kind. Seiju's father had been given a terminal cancer diagnosis. It was hard. It was hard. And that really, like, amplified the question of, like, what am I supposed to do for actually my life? Because I experienced death at a very painful time. In other words, he sat me down, and he told me that let's prepare for the departure, but he gave me a priceless gift. He wanted to have a session every day around 40 minutes at 9 p.m. every day. He put the effort to think about the topic every day and shared it at night. And that was the combination of the retrospective review of his life. He just wanted to share about it. And also he was curious to learn about how I think. His father's curiosity led to a conversation about the mission that Seiju was focused on in that moment of his life his heavy metal startup. He was genuinely curious about why I started it and how I'm doing it and why. And I discovered myself that I could not answer very well. And that really amplified the question of like, I always had this a little emptiness in my heart. I'm busy and I'm kind of successful, but something was missing. Seiju's father shared his own thoughts on his life's mission as a doctor and one of his biggest regrets. Why? The patients are not preventing the condition that he always warned that they can avoid or prevent. Often the patient 
developed further illness and come back, return. And he see his job became sick care management over healthcare professional. Why prevention is not a primary in over healthcare? So that was a big question mark he left, which really like amplifies strongly to my heart. And I kept thinking about it. Thought quickly turned into action. That helped me to set a better priority of my life. I need to do something that is I follow the purpose of life. And that's how I became instantly decided I need to let the heavy metal business go. Why? I am passionate about heavy metal music, but that is a hobby. It's not a part of my life. My purpose should be spent for something greater. And I decided I will pursue for healthcare. To this day, Seiju still passionately loves heavy metal. But speaking with his father, he realized it was not his mission. The distinction between mission and passion is subtle but hugely important. It's easy to confuse the two. Passion is about what you personally enjoy. Of course, it helps greatly if you are passionate about your mission. But first and foremost, your mission is about the great change in the world that you feel needs to be made. Seiju was and still is passionate about heavy metal music. But the mission, the huge change he wanted to make to improve the world, lay in health and fitness, echoing the mission that generations of his family shared. So Seiju decided to renounce his crown as South Korea's king of metal, drop out of college, and focus on his mission. And thanks to his father, he knew exactly where he wanted to start his pursuit. My father's best heydays of his life was when he was studying in the United States. Because he said, I finally got out of my hometown and met the people from all over the world, the diversity and also their different background and culture that bring the ideas is incredible. Seiju couldn't act immediately on this newfound mission. He had three years of compulsory service in the South Korean military to complete. But the moment he was discharged, Seiju headed straight to New York. He wanted to found a company through which he could pursue his new mission to prevent illness by promoting health and fitness. There were just three small problems. Seiju lacked money, a network, and basic proficiency in English. I got like three or four random jobs to pay $630 rent at Sublet at Basement in Long Island. I sold 99 cents of perfume. I sold glue, some random stickers. I did a lot of like hustling job to make a living. At the same time, that was the way I learned the world. And that was tough, but also it was fun. He was also studying English and practicing at every opportunity, including one of the most delightful hacks for learning a language I've heard. I remember I contact Sprint customer support. I, I feel sorry to Sprint by then because they take my call and I can practice my English. <laughs> That's why I did it. <laughs> when it came to networking, Seiju made the most of any opportunity. This included a cousin's wedding where he met a Google engineer named Artem Petikov. The two immediately hit it off and soon discovered their mutual interest in healthcare and fitness. He was a very philosophical, open person and intellectually very savvy. So I liked him instantly, and we became the best friend very quickly. And I told him, Artem, your talent is incredible, and I need to get you out of Google because we need to found a company for healthcare. And it took only two years and eight months to convince to get out from Google. In my experience, this combination of shared mission and mutual understanding makes for the strongest and most successful co-founder relationships. 
While Artem shared Seiju's mission, he wasn't prepared to copy Seiju's dramatic career pivot. At least not immediately. And that's not only understandable, it's smart. Artem's income gave the pair some stability as they worked out just how they were going to pursue their mission. It also gave contacts that would later be invaluable to them. In 2007, Seiju and Artem founded Work Smart Labs, making fitness their route to their mission of preventing illness. We thought fitness is the answer. We thought, okay, let's make enough fitness, make it easy and fun. Our first prototype was we convert the stationary bike at the gym with our sensors, then we make a smart bike, and we brought the interactive screen in front of the stationary bike so we can motivate and guide the users can do the cycling. It was Peloton before Peloton, but with a few major differences. The business model focused on supplying gyms rather than homes, and streaming technology to provide on-demand video classes wasn't there. In fact, it was five years before John Foley would be out pitching Peloton to investors and getting constantly rejected. You can hear that story in John's episode of Masters of Scale titled How to Turn Skeptics into Fans. Just scroll back in your podcast feed. Like John, Seiju and Artem also struggled to raise money from skeptical investors. I could not raise any single dime for three years because the product market fit was not there. We couldn't scale it. And we learned that, first of all, gym business, they don't have the budget to invest into new equipment. If they have a budget, then they will use that budget for upgrading their locker room. That is the truth. Their product and mission was a seeming slam dunk fit with gyms. But they soon discovered their mistake in thinking gyms were partners in their mission. Not only were the gyms unwilling to pay up, investors were also not going to back them. The scale market opportunity simply wasn't there. And more importantly for Seiju, this meant that their proto-Peloton device wouldn't be able to fulfill a key directive of their mission, to reach as many people as possible. Now, a cautionary note. It's true that sometimes you'll uncover an unexpected misalignment in mission with potential partners. But it's also true that you can unearth mission alignments in the most unexpected places. Harnessing these unexpected alignments can be a powerful scale multiplier. One excellent example that springs to mind comes from Damon John, founder and CEO of streetwear brand FUBU and Shark Tank Star. Early in his scale journey, Damon wanted to supercharge FUBU's marketing, but needed to do so on a tight budget. So he went around to local businesses, not just clothing stores, but electronic repair shops, bodegas, any establishment with a metal security gate, despite the seeming lack of mission alignment. We went to all the stores that pulled down nasty storm gates and said, you have graffiti there or profanity on there. We are a local company. We want to spray paint your gate with our name and keep it beautiful and white. We'll always upkeep this. We'll make sure nobody puts profanity on your gates. And by the way, the kids locally are going to know that you're supporting a local company. And we're going to come and point kids towards you. So we spray painted 300 gates from New York to New Jersey, put authorized FUBU dealer. We didn't care what you were selling. I don't care if you were selling furniture or Chinese food. You were an authorized FUBU dealer. Because those gates would pull down during morning rush hour and evening rush hour and all those pedestrians passing by, that was about $3 million worth of advertising. At first glance, there's little mission alignment between an edgy streetwear brand and a mom-and-pop hardware store. But Damon took a deeper look at his mission, saw how it aligned with an unlikely range of small businesses, and seized that opportunity. For Seiju and his team, the opposite was true. They had uncovered a deep misalignment mission with their customers, the gyms. 
I remember we had like less than $4,000 and we had five people at a studio. We were living together, working together, and we had one air conditioner. We were all sweating like a pig. We were literally wearing only just underwear because it was so hot and we were coding all the time, right? The laptop was uh, filled with a sweat. I'm not exaggerating. It was like that. And we became so poor. The heat was on in every sense of the phrase. Their product just wasn't clicking. And now, with their finances almost depleted, it was time for Seiju to make a tough call in order to stay true to his mission. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. We're back with Seiju Jong of Noom. If you're enjoying this episode of Aligning Mission and Product, be sure to share it with your network. You can do that right now. Just hit the share button in your podcast app. And to listen to the full conversation with Seiju, become a Masters of Scale member at masterscale.com slash membership. You'll be able to hear some of the things we couldn't fit into this episode, including more of Seiju's love of heavy metal, the full story of how he and his co-founder struck up their partnership, and Seiju's criteria for assessing new ideas for Noom. Before the break, we heard how Seiju and his co-founder Artem had hit a wall on their mission to scale health and fitness. We were like, guys, hardware does not work, and we are not good at that. What should we do? And we don't have money. And then we did a strategy meeting, very cute, right? And we figured, you know what, let's just focus to what we are good at, which is software making, and let's pay attention to one product. They quickly decided on a mobile app. This would make it far easier to reach the maximum number of people as their mission dictated. It was early 2008. Apple's App Store had just launched, and smartphones were coming into their own as omnipresent devices with the potential to do far more than make calls and send messages. Thanks to Artem's last job, they knew that Google's mobile OS, the Android, was on the cusp of launching. Just like iPhones, Androids would come with their own app store, and Artem's connections at Google would give them a leg up. If they did things right, they could ride the initial wave of a huge new market. Artem came from Google, and the rest of the engineer also came from Google. We were favored to Google platform, I'll be honest. Second, we wanted to move really fast, and uh, Android platform was faster to code and test. We realized, we knew that Apple is a very important platform, which is very important at this moment too. We wanted to quickly obtain the user base first, right? 
So we need a user base, and Google was in favor to us that we can receive the user faster. Notice how Seiju and Artem identified what their next product should be by using their mission as the lens for all of their ideas. This is one of the ways keeping true to your mission can actually help you spot opportunities rather than limit them. They then took the particulars of their new market, a mobile device, and combined it with their mission, fitness, to create a product that they believed would appeal to two groups, runners and cyclists. Both number in the millions, and both can easily carry a mobile device with them as they run or cycle. They called the app Cardio Trainer, aimed at letting cyclists and runners track their fitness training from their phones. The new Android platform was fraught with unknowns, even with their home advantage. But they took the gamble, and it paid off. So we became number one, like untouchable number one, the most downloaded and used service in the fitness health category. And we were like top grossing application for two years and 10 months straight in the world. And Motorola, Verizon, and Google, these three companies were united and promote Android platform very heavily. So we were preloaded on all Motorola devices, and we were promoted by Verizon and Google. That promotion extended to ads in Times Square and being preloaded on Samsung phones also. In a matter of months, Seiju and Artem had gone from figuratively and literally sweating over gym hardware to riding high on one of the biggest tech successes of the year. They were ranked top of the App Store. They had income and investors. And... Most importantly, they had a huge and engaged user base through which they were fulfilling their mission of making as many people as possible fitter and happier. But then they discovered something unexpected. We noticed that 90% of our users are not using for running or cycling. And we're like, what? What's going on here? But they keep using our product. And then we learned that they are using our product for just walking, actually they just use our product for step counting. We added the parameter features as the bonus features are out of running and cycling like that, but people were mainly use that features. Seiju had equated user uptake with achieving their mission. This is why discovering such a huge disconnect worried him. Imagine a triangle whose points are what your customer wants, what your mission is, and what your product does. If that triangle becomes distorted and you don't act, all three points will ultimately point in one direction, failure. So Seiju and his team investigated further. So we asked, why are you not running or cycling? And the majority answer was, I don't exercise. We were shocked. We asked, then why don't you do exercise? And majority of our users answered, because I am too heavy, or I just simply don't exercise. And then we asked, then why are you using our product? And they answered, I want to lose weight. And that was the moment I go, oh, wow. And then we asked, why are you step counting? Why do you need to lose weight? And they answered, I have a health risk. And that was the moment really like resonate well with us. It was a surprise that barely any of the engaged users of Cardio Trainer were doing any cardio or any training at all. In fact, a huge proportion of their users either couldn't or wouldn't do heavy cardio training. That was the moment that we learned weight issues is a big problem in the United States. It is a big problem. 
And we learn nutrition diet is very hard problem. And then that opened our curiosity. It really rang the bell of our company mission. Anytime you hear the bell of your company mission ringing out from an unexpected direction, it's time to change course, maybe even pivot. But in the case of cardio trainer, Seiju and Artem went even further. So we made a very bold decision that, you know what, we are going to retire our product and we will rebuild the product is targeted for nutrition diet for weight loss. That's right. They didn't set about making a pivot and bringing as many customers along with them as they could. They didn't even try to sell Cardio Trainer and use the proceeds to start something more aligned with their mission. Instead, they pulled the plug on their top-ranking, money-making, and only product. That was a big decision, and our investors were mad at us because basically we are killing our own product, which is number one in the market. And we are entering into completely new territory, which is nutrition and weight loss. Even Seiju acknowledges now this was a huge gamble and that maybe they should have tried selling rather than pulling the plug. But at the time, it felt like the right call. And while a cash exit may seem like the better option in hindsight, remember this. An early stage startup is on a mortality clock. Sure, business school theory might dictate it would be better to sell. But the reality is you're unlikely to have the time to negotiate a sale while leaping full force into the next idea. An example from my PayPal days is the product we developed for Palm Pilots, the rudimentary smartphones of their day. It's the product we launched with, and Palm liked it. But we got to the point where a Palm product was distracting us from our core business, so we told them we needed to pull the plug. They didn't really fully believe us. They even thought we were posturing for something. And so we just shut it down. And then they were like, oh my God, no, no, no. But we needed to do it and do it fast because speed really matters in startups. The value you've created today can be a distraction from the opportunity of tomorrow. And your mission is the smart lens for continually making tough but critical assessments for each investment, pivot, and commitment. So yes, Seiju had made his investors mad, but he was still convinced closing down Cardio Trainer was the right way to keep his company on mission. But for us, we are a consumer-centric company, and we always believe the answers are driven by users. So let's follow what they want to, and we need to solve this problem. The evidence they'd already gathered from their users showed those users needed something more than they were saying. They couldn't get this from a survey, so they looked at their users' behavior and read between the lines. It was kind of obvious for us because... We found a company to deliver our mission, and that is our promise. And when we face the fact, the data, that we are not helping them enough, and our users are using a product wrongly, right? They're using one of the features, which is not a main feature. So it was kind of obvious by then. And we were, I would say, bravely naive, but we were, I would say, well-minded, kind-minded, that we had a deep empathy to our users. This was brave new territory in terms of their product, but spot on in terms of their long-term mission. Having closed down their only form of income and alienated their investors, Seiju and his team set about developing a new app. The mission of helping as many people as possible stay healthy remained the same. But this time, the focus was different. We learned diet nutrition is very important matter overall for weight. So we thought, okay, calorie counting matters. 
they launched Calorific, an app that let users log their calorie intake as part of a healthy, holistic fitness plan. It was a success. But this time, Seiju wasn't taking Mission Fit for granted. So we learned our users are quite happy with the product, but we could not connect the dots between usage and the result. In other words, did we help our users to lose weight and also manage their lifestyle better? And the answer is, we don't know. They had made a great tool that their users loved. But it bothered Seiju that he couldn't tell if the tool was furthering his mission. So in 2011, Seiju and Artem launched Noom Weight. This new app used an AI algorithm that tailored content to users. It was focused on overall weight management rather than just counting calories. We wanted to guide our users to understand their overall lifestyle, right? About diet, exercise, stress management, sleep, all that holistic approach, mind and body, how you compose your life and why, and how we can help you to build a healthy habit that will lead to have a better weight management by knowing about who you are and why you behave that way and what caused you to think or behave that way. But it still felt to Seiju that something was missing. We knew from the inception of Noom that mind and body approach is right approach, but it will take years to build and make it right. And we were constantly looking forward to do better. In 2012, we discovered the power of psychology and human coach. That discovery came in the form of a meeting with Dr. Andreas Michelades, a psychologist specializing in weight loss. So we met him and we asked for help. How do you practice in real world? He told us that we have an amazing scale and access to our users and we can do it great together if he applies psychology and also highlights empathy to our users. That was a big aha moment for us. Why? Because empathy is the value that makes human beautiful. And it is very powerful to motivate our users, hold a carnival, and support the journey of lifestyle, which is, you know, weight management. This felt like the missing piece. Real-life human coaches who could empathize and motivate users individually. In 2014, Andreas joined Noom as its chief of psychology, building out content for users based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Noom also started hiring real-life coaches. Each user could get face-to-face -face time with a real-life coach, while the coaches would get in-depth data on their users' aims and fitness history from the Noom AI system. And that was a moment, I can tell you now, finally, we figured the product market fit. In other words, the market adopted our service very well, and we scaled the business very well since then. Noom's growth took off, reaching revenue of $200 million in 2019. Then, with the rush to home fitness during the pandemic, revenues doubled in 2020 to $400 million. Noom's success is down to uniting users and coaches around its unwavering mission. We learn every user has different background and a profile and a goal but one thing get us united and together is either way, our user side and our coach's side, they are looking for how to get healthy. It's also helped lifestyle coaches scale their mission. The number one complaint as a lifestyle coach was they have to ask the same questions in the beginning to assess the status. And that's very repetitive work. And that exhausts them. So we believe repetitive work can be replaced by software and we can empower our human coach can practice better and also assist by the computer. 
It's what Seiju has been striving for, alignment of his mission and his product. The mission has sustained Seiju through pivots and false starts, but now it is aligned with Noom's weight loss product. And that mission is also sustaining new products and opportunities like Noom Mood, which helps users manage stress and anxiety. By choosing mission over product every time, Seiju is now in a position to scale multiple products and his company, all in service of that unwavering mission to help as many people as possible lead healthier lives. So if any of my friends are asking, Seiju, I want to start a company, then I will ask, tell me the mission and why that mission is really aligned with your personal life that you believe in your life value. As a founder, you can decide what is company mission. And if that mission is truly resonate well with your life value and you follow that, you have a high chance you can hang in there when things are difficult. But you have to be truthfully honest to yourself. This is the stark self-honesty that every entrepreneur needs to practice. If what you're building isn't moving you toward accomplishing your mission, it's time to stop, reassess, and retool. I'm Reid Hoffman. Thanks for listening. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we had stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale is a Wait What original. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Tripp, and Jordan McLeod. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producers are Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark-Gray, Marie McCoy-Thompson, Alex Morris, Tucker Ligurski, and Holly Bondi. Our editor-at-large is Bob Safian. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Chris Shea, Elisa Schreiber, Aria Finger, Zayda Sapieva, Greg Beato, Adam Heiner, Colin Howarth, Willem Crowles, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Aputa, Anna Pisano, Sarah Tartar, Lear Saramentis, Charlie Meneses, Chinime Ezequena, Emily McManus, and Mina Kurosawa. 
become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at masterscale.com slash membership.